we are in a current series called How Did I Get Here? Uh, it's a, a little bit of a departure from our normal routine. It's a topical series instead of a, a walk through a book of the Bible what, like we normally do. And uh, this is focused on seven different things, seven different topics that kind of sneak up into our lives as people. And uh, one day we wake up and we go, how did I get here? How did my life get so off the rails? And, uh, and what do I do to get back? Um, this Sunday, our, our, our subject is isolation, isolation, and um, I just want to begin by, by saying, asking you this question, uh, aren't you glad, now be honest with me, aren't you glad that one day, not too long ago, somebody invented the cell phone? Aren't you glad? Yeah, I see about three hands, Okay. Uh, better yet, aren't you glad the day they invented the smartphone? Whew. Same three people. Okay. This smartphone, uh, you know, where you can, you can send messages to people, you can read your email, you can browse the internet, you can even play games. And um, Now, many of you, well, some of you may not remember the pre-cell phone days. I remember the pre-cell phone days. Life was hard. Don't you remember? I'm not sure how we made it. If you were out and about and you needed to get in touch with somebody, what did you have to do? You had to drive around until you found what? A payphone. And then what did you have to do? Pay. Exactly. If you were, say, say you're in a conversation with a bunch of people, okay, and, and a question comes up and nobody knows the answer in the circle, can you imagine a life like that? Nobody knows. And uh, so you either have to find something called an encyclopedia or you just have to accept this group's collective ignorance about the subject, right? Right? Life was hard. I mean, imagine a world where there was no Googling, Yahooing, or Binging. Can you imagine a life like that? What? God. Who was that guy? Better yet, who hired that guy? Aren't you glad? I don't know how to get back on track now. Uh, yeah, I know. He made my point. Aren't you glad those days are behind us, right? Now, some of you technophobes out there are going, okay, he's going to get him. He's going to get him. He's going to let him have it, those technology people, right? No, not necessarily. You see, now we have uh, all the answers right at our fingertips, or better yet, our thumbs. <laughs> you know, because we have all this information, we don't have to deal with people face to face. Aren't you glad? We can send these little cryptic messages and skip all the how are yous. We might get more information than we really want. <laughs> we can get right to the point. It's so awesome, isn't it? 
even when we're out to eat with real people, like our family, we can all sit there around the table with our own private little screens and connect with all of our friends, most of whom we've actually what? Never really met. Now, I want, I'm not bragging, okay? I'm just going to bring this to you today. I just want you to know I'm not bragging, but did you know I have 547 friends? 547 friends. Facebook told me that this week. But you know what I've come to realize? Now, this is going to break some of your hearts. They're really not friends. my first point and a truth I think we need to face. We've never been more connected as a culture yet felt more disconnected. Here's a quote from Kerry Newhoff. We live in a world where you can have 500 friends. I have 547. And still feel isolated and abandoned. Get this difference. Solitude is a gift from God. Isolation is not. It's a tool of the enemy. And as a culture, the more connected we've become, the more isolated we've grown. This is our strange 21st century paradox. We're connected to more people than ever before, and we've never felt more alone. But here's the question I have for you in thinking of all of this. What if, despite its challenges or its dangers or its conveniences, what if technology isn't good or evil? It simply makes it accessible and amplifies and reveals what's already present. Let me give you a few examples. If you're prone to narcissism, social media is your absolute best friend, right? (laughs) You can impose your daily happenings on who? Everybody. You can draw them all into your life. And if you're a workaholic, having 24-7 access to your email, your computer files... In the palm of your hand, it just feeds your dysfunction. Maybe you're a hedonist and you just love entertainment. You can sit at your desk at work and watch when the boss isn't looking, Big Bang reruns, right? Or maybe even golf. I threw that one in there because I do that sometimes, by the way. Technology has just made isolation easier. And the tendency towards towards it has been going on for much longer than we care to admit. Uh, Three realities about isolation in the culture today and in our lives. Uh, First of all, people isolate. We isolate because we think it's safer. People can be so mean, can't they? 
We really think that if, we're, if, we, if we can just get people out of our lives, it's just going to be a safer existence. I, I got so hurt, I'm not going to date anymore. <laughs> the church treated me so bad, I'm not going anymore. I disagree with that person on most everything, so I won't have anything to do with them. I don't care if it's my little brother. I don't care. We get this idea that we can protect ourselves from problems by eliminating people, even, even family, even from our lives. And uh, I would ask you, but at what cost? At what cost? We, we isolate because we think it's easier. Again, relationships are messy, and, and life is just easier if I keep everyone at arm's length, not get too close to people. Don't let anybody in. Don't have any significant, meaningful relationships, because I know one day it's all going to get complicated. We're going to have to work through things. There's going to be problems. Nobody's perfect. Relationships are so exhausting. It's just easier by myself. And if you don't agree with either of those, or if those aren't present in your life, I, I challenge this one with you. We isolate because we think it's normal. We've gotten used to it. It's the culture we've grown up with. We've all grown up in it. I mean, just take a drive through old Georgetown. You'll see the difference in the culture and the architecture of how the homes are made. If you drive through old Georgetown, where, where are the porches? Are they, are they on the front or the back? They're on the front. People used to hang out in the evening out on the front porch because what? It was too hot to go inside. And they would talk to who? Neighbors. Wow. Novel idea, right? Because their neighbors were too hot, too. They had to be out on their front porch. Now we put porches, well, we call them decks, on the back side of our homes, and we build privacy fences so we can be sure we never have to talk to who? Our neighbors. I remember hearing a, 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 social, a Christian social scientist once say, the two things that have destroyed community in America are air conditioning and the television. Air conditioning drew, drew everybody inside, and the television gave them something to do. We've made life so full of things that at any time that we any time that we have left over, we just try to recover so we can get up the next day and do it all over again. And uh, busyness we have made normal. In our culture. Anybody busy here today? You have busy lives? Everybody's got busy lives, right? I can't, I can't do that. I can't serve. I can't do that. I can't, I can't be with this. I can't have a meaningful conversation. I can't stop. I'm too busy. And we've made it normal. We've made the frantic pace normal. We've made stress that it, it, it produces normal. We've made the anxiety that it produces. It's normal. Everybody has it. 
John Ortberg writes, We fear doing nothing because it would mean facing up the, to the inner realities that distress our souls. Fear, anger, loneliness, failure. Perhaps that's why in the familiar psalm it says, He makes me lie down. <laughs> Good point. He doesn't invite us to lie down. He doesn't plead with us to lie down. God makes us lie down. He knows what we need, doesn't he? He wants you to stop, to pause, to think, to meditate on him. And when you do, he'll show you the insanity of your pace. Bring you back to enjoyment and meaning. Isolation or hiding behind our screens, avoiding people, relationships is a breeding ground for selfishness. Let's just be honest. Proverbs 18.1, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. There was a show back in the 80s, I think it was. Uh, it was called Little House on the Prairie. You remember that show? I found it kind of boring, actually. I know. Some of you are going, oh, shame on you, right? It was a show set in Walnut Grove, Minnesota in 1870, and it found a loyal audience. Loved watching the simplicity of life. It was a different time. Let me ask you this. How many of you would have loved to live in 1870? Yeah, you all know that in this sermon, raising your hand was the right answer there, don't you? That's right. That's right. It, it was a time with... Uh, no internet, no TV, no telephones, no automobiles. No in-home electricity. Please. No running water. And, and during the day, people would always do hard work. And, uh, and in the evening, there were family games and there was reading together and learning together and deep, meaningful conversations. In the show, there's just not a whole lot of what we call plot. <laughs> but you see, people living today, they would tune in and they would watch that and there was something very attractive about it, right? Something very inviting. I wonder what it would be like in the It would be nice to go back because today, well, we just can't do that. More than anything, it showed us that we've lost something significant. And it's only migrated to worse and worse places with each passing generation. So, as you think about this, how can we recover? Is throwing your cell phone away the answer? No, aren't you glad? Throwing your iPads and your computers out the window, getting rid of a television. No, technology and the removal of technology is not going to solve your problem. How can you 
bring yourself out of isolation. Now, this is going to sound simplistic, but hold on. The, the point that I would make is this is the way to the path to life. Have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And I would contend there's a lot of confusion as to what that means today. I mean, you take people who are unbelievers, people who aren't Christians. They probably think of Christ, they, 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 they don't think of Christianity as a relationship with Jesus Christ. They think of it as this system, this religious system of do's and don'ts. They, they see it just like any other religion and uh, one of many options that they could choose to believe. Uh, but that's not at all what Christianity is. That's not what a Christian is. It may even startle some people to know that Christianity is not even a religion. Did you know that? Don't call Christianity a religion. It's not a religion. A religion is this whole system of laws that will say, if you do these and not do these, then you're a good person. Christianity is not a system of do's and don'ts. You take some religions, they say, if you pray enough times a day or behave well enough, then the supreme being, whoever that might be, will deem you good. It's a way for the religion to control its subjects. Did you know that even atheistic religions, atheistic what we call worldviews, such as postmodernism, they have their own set of do's and don'ts, rules. Say, tolerance. If you are tolerant of everybody, which is born out of the fact that everybody gets to produce their own beliefs, their own truth, their own way, and we all should tolerate all the different belief systems in the world, and if you do that, then you're a good person. If you think your way is the only way to heaven, you're a bad person. Did you know that even Marxism defines goodness as whatever advances the the whole world towards this ultimate utopian place of world peace and uh, infinite prosperity, all everybody sharing. And uh, if you're a if you're on that program with us, then you're a good person. If you're not, you're a bad person. Christianity is not a system of behavioral modification. It is a relationship with a living God who loves us and wants to be with us. Now I'm going to get personal. <laughs> I encounter many Christians who think they have a relationship with Jesus, but they don't. I'm not challenging whether or not they're a Christian, but they have the whole journey wrong. They've made Christianity because they think it's a religion. They've made it into a system of do's and don'ts, and it just doesn't work because that's not what it is. And so here's how so many Christians live every day. They just want to do their best at being a good Christian. They get up in the morning, they try hard not to sin, they pray to God to help them not sin, they try their best all day long to be nice to people, but sometimes they just lose it, then at night they weep and ask God for forgiveness and renewed strength to be better tomorrow, and they get up the next day and give it their best try. Do any Christians live like that today? Okay, tomorrow comes, and guess what? They do better. 
They're nice to everybody. They don't sin all day long, and at the end of the day, they're thinking of how proud God must be of them. <laughs> then they realize what? Oh, that's pride. That's a sin. So now we've got to go back into the confessing and receiving forgiveness and getting up tomorrow and trying harder plan. Anybody ever been there? It's not a relationship. That's a job. <laughs> I mean, can, can you imagine that way, being that way with your spouse or somebody that you love deeply? And uh, <laughs> you get up in the morning. I'm gonna. My whole, my whole um, motivation for today, everything that guides my life today, is I want to obey and not tick you off. <laughs> And if I do, when I get home tonight, I'm going to confess it to you and you can forgive me and then I will recommit and rededicate myself to trying to do better tomorrow. And that's it, the sum total of your relationship. No hanging out, no deep conversations about important things, no having fun together, no learning together, nothing like that. It's all just trying to outperform one another so you can be the good one in the relationship. I obey better than you. I say no thanks to that kind of relationship here. I say no thanks to that kind of relationship with God. But I've come to realize that's how so many Christians live their life. No wonder they isolate, withdraw. <laughs> I was thinking about this that this week. I think about I think about heaven a lot. Does anybody else think about heaven a lot? Yeah, you must be my age or older, right? <laughs> I, I think about heaven a lot, and I was thinking about this whole thing of performance-oriented uh, justification. Can you imagine being in heaven and the glory of Jesus is everywhere, and the beauty of Jesus is everywhere, and you're just basking every day in the glory and the beauty of Jesus, and he comes walking by where you're at, and you say, Jesus, okay, I get all the glory, all the beauty, what do you want me to do? We just wouldn't do that, and you know it. We would cherish the love that permeates the place. We would just love being there, hanging out there, enjoying and drinking in the beauty of who he is. I find this so much. So many well-meaning Christians, I just... I just want him to tell me what to do. That's, that's his role in my life. He's supposed to tell me what to do. Or, or he needs to help me. I'm in trouble. And I'm here to tell you that God wants a parent, a father, son, and daughter relationship with you. He wants you to know this, how much he loves you. And I want you, don't trivialize this point. Don't say, yeah, I know he loves me. He loves everybody. Jesus loves me, this I know. I got that. Don't trivialize it. I cannot tell you how many times in my life I've been afraid or I've been hurt. Or I've been confused 
and I've gone to him. I've said, God, tell me what to do. God, come on and get me out of this mess. And so much of those times I come to him and I'm pleading with him, come on, come on, God. And he says to me in no uncertain terms, Dave, I love you. I know you do, but I love you. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes God has to say things to me three or four or five times. And what he is saying to me is that your confusion and your pain, your angst, your frustration, your need is always answered by how much I love you. Because drinking in the love of God and being at peace in our soul and being secure with Him and being right with Him and knowing and drinking, it just puts the world right. It makes all those things that we have elevated to such status, such importance in our life, it just continues to push Him back down. He's everything. He's everything. I think of people going through crisis, and there's so many times I've, I've, I've been through my own. I've been with people and walked with people through crises, and uh, it's bad, and there's confusion, and uh, there's, the, there's the questions, what's next? What, what kind of road am I facing here? And uh, I've seen so many people who can, with great assurance, they can say deep in my heart, my Father in heaven sees this situation. He knows what's going on, and he loves me. Now, it may not, he may not do what I think I would do if I were him. He may not do what I ask him to do. He, but I know he can be trusted because he loves me. He will walk with me through this valley of the shadow of death, and I will not fear just because he's with me. You see, the love of God is security. The love of God is security. There's something about his love that just puts the soul to rest. It just calms the troubled waters. It, it breathes comfort into those difficult situations. It's, it's, it's reiterated throughout the scriptures. There's, there's the end of Romans 8, one of the what I call Hall of Fame chapters of the New Testament. Uh, he, he comes down to the end. He says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. That's quite a list right there. But he goes on, Nor heights, nor depth, nor any created, nor any other created thing will have the power, will be able to separate you and I from what? <laughs> the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and, and knowing in the depth of your heart that he loves me, God, the creator of this universe, he loves me. He will always love me. Settles the human spirit, settles the human soul. It is security. It is safety. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to measure up to some standard for him to love me. He's my dad.
did you know this? God wants to be with you. If you're a parent with grown children, don't you love to see them come home? If you're a parent with children, maybe can't wait till they graduate. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm a parent of adult children. I, I love for them to come home. God with you. He loves for you to be with him. The love of God frees us to love others. It's his love that empowers our love. His love turns us away from ourselves and helps us see the world through his eyes. His love secures us to the point where we're not additionally seeking to meet our needs through inappropriate ways. He has settled our search. Even as a as a follower of Christ, we can be so filled with his love, we can love people that annoy us. Amen. Anybody annoy you today? He even says we can love people who we consider enemies. Selfish, selfish love can't do that. Only God's agape love through us can actually love people who are against us. His love does so much in us. Look what it says in this passage from 1 John 4. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because, listen to this phrase, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love, why? Because he first loved us. Four bullet points from this passage. First of all, love is God. Don't make the mistake that love is just something that a hat that he wears or something that he does or something that every once in a while he's going to express. God's entire personality, his entire being is love. Love is confidence, it says. It's security on the day of judgment. He, he, he loves me. I don't have to fear judgment. It says he has perfected or completed me in his love. So when the end of my days come, I stand with great confidence before him. There's my father. There's my dad. Love is fearless. God loves me. What am I to fear? Amen. Perfect love casts out what? Fear. If he is for me, who can be against me? My dad, my father, God, the creator of the universe, he's with me. He loves me. And then love is passed on. How can I not share this incredible relationship with others? In fact, as Francis Schaeffer says, love is the actual mark of the Christian. You can't say, well, I get a lot of Christian things good, but I don't get love very well. 
That is the mark of who we are as Christian people. Jesus said it himself. He says, they're going to know my church is Christians because of why? They love one another. And everybody sees that. Wow, Jesus must be real. Look how much they care for one another. So I, I ask you, I ask myself, in what ways do we isolate? What ways do we pull back? What ways do we cut people off? And I, I, please understand, I don't mean that you just stay at home all the time. I am fully convinced there are people here today with lots of social activity, busy lives, lots of online friends, great family, all the trappings, they look so connected in so many different ways, but they are still very guarded in their relationships and deep inside, quite alone. C.S. Lewis says this, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. <laughs> he says, wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. In fact, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable irredeemable to love is to be vulnerable isn't it time to live again Jesus is calling he's calling you to walk out of the tomb of isolation and have a real meaningful relationship with him Receive his love. To see yourself protective ways and what they're doing to you. And uh, it's time to love again. Open up to people. Put away the screens and have deep conversations with people. And stop long enough to meditate on him. I, I, I want to assure you today. Not just mentally, but from my heart. Jesus is so very good. <laughs> he is so very glorious. He is so full of love for you. He is so trustworthy. He is dependable. He conquered death. And he can... Make the hardest hearts live again. I'm convinced of it. And I invite you to him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, today in these uh, closing moments, and uh, I pray, Father, that the truth of your word, the message of your love penetrates my own heart. 
penetrates each of our hearts that even if we've been walking with you for 40, 50, 60 years, the reality and the recognition of how much you love would just grip our hearts today. And Father, show us, expose us to the tendency of the culture to normalize busyness, to normalize disconnectedness, to normalize pulling in our lives to the point where we never have meaningful conversations and we just plop in our chairs and watch TV in the evenings and try to get through the next day and the next and the next. And we've made it normal because everybody we know, that's the way they live. And, uh, and so, Father, I am praying today for a breakthrough of sorts in the lives of Christians that they would reconnect with you in such a way that they would drink in the fullness of your love and therefore be able to just pour over into the hearts and lives of other people. And perhaps patterns in their lives do need to change and you will work with those and you will work with them and you will let them see, Father, what it is that you want to do. And uh, most of all, Father, I pray that they would draw into you and know how good you are how wonderful you are, what you've done for them, that they will come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.